All right. So the last session, session 14, I thought we'd just, you know, kind of come full circle and call this one In All the Scriptures, um, since that's sort of our our theme from Luke. Um, so our goal for this session, of course, is to have an understanding of the last 13 classes, of what we've learned in these 13 classes. Um, and these are just 13, um, I guess you could say 13 plus, because some of them had two or three lessons in them. But uh, 13 um, scenarios where our Savior is, of course, um, found in unexpected places in the Old Testament, um, obscure places, you could say, uh, just, just unexpected uh, uh, stories in the Old Testament that somehow point to our Savior. So, um, But the point is, is that everything, in my, in my opinion, there's a lot of people that believe that too, or some people that don't. Um, that really everything in the scripture points to Jesus. And uh, he, of course, says that himself, that he's in the Old Testament, that that the scripture points to him, um, you know, that he's in all the scriptures. So um, so that's kind of what we're hopefully getting out of this study. And uh, we're going to talk about Jesus being in all, not just some, of the scriptures. Um, there's some scriptures that you can go, what in the world does that how does that point to Jesus, you know? Books like the Song of Solomon, you know, how does that point to Jesus? Well, um, there, I mean, it's about love, and we know that God is love, and God loves us, that he sent his son, so you could, there's one way to do it. But there's there's a lot of different ways that, that places in the scripture that you wouldn't think normally point to Jesus uh, do. So, uh, not all scriptures mention Jesus, but all eventually point to him. So his name's not in every scripture, but... Um, there's a lot where his name is because his name is salvation and if you see a scripture and it says hey that's about salvation that's not about that's about some kind of salvation well technically that's his name so anyway um, but yeah so a reminder kind of going back is that Jesus expects all believers to believe the scriptures and of course this comes from our theme passage the three verses from our theme passage Luke 24 25 says Oh, fully, oh, well, and he said to them, of course, he's talking, he's on the road to Emmaus, talking to these two guys, and he said to them, Oh, foolish men and slow of hearts to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So what he's saying is you guys are foolish because you didn't believe what the prophets said. Um, so he expects us to believe the scriptures. Uh, he expects us to know the scriptures. Um, and that would be the next verse, which says, Was it not necessary for this Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? So he's basically saying, didn't, I mean, you should have known this. Was it not necessary for these things to happen? Because you should have known them. So know the scriptures. And the third one, of course, is to understand the scriptures. And that's the next verse, of course, which is then beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So believe, know, and understand. You could say in that order because that's the order of the verses. So, all right. Now we're going to go over a uh, 25,000 foot overview of the last 13 classes. Of course, in session one, which was the overview, we're going to go over a review, I guess, of the uh, last 13 classes. The first one we, of course, talked about, you know, what did you expect to get out of this class? So I hope that everyone, you know, got something out of the class. Um, if you got a lot out of it, great. If you didn't get as much as you thought, well, we'll talk about it later. Or, uh, or don't tell me at all, and we'll, we'll all be happy. So, um, so I hope again that again it's not me giving you something in this class. It's uh, it's the Lord Himself, and I hope that He 
use me to, you know, sort of convey uh, this lesson. So, um, uh, the Bible is a message to us, of course, directly from God. It's not a book written by people that God maybe mentioned a few things to, and then people wrote it down, and there's a lot of problems in it. You need to look at the scripture as a literal note or message or, you know, book from himself to humanity. Uh, it is perfect because it's from God. If it wasn't perfect, it wouldn't be from God. <clears throat> and of course, its origins are from outside of time. Uh, how do we know this? Well, it's because this book t- um, predicts future events in perfect accuracy. Um, it's not like some holy books, quote unquote, out there that in other, you know, in other religions that, uh, that sort of predict things and they kind of come to pass and then some do and some don't. Um, it's, it's a book where everything that it says does come to pass. And there, there's, there's some things in it that haven't come to pass yet, but, um, we know they will. So, of course, on Sunday morning, we're talking about some of those things. So, and it could be, you know, in 10 years or 100 years. We don't know when the future events are going to happen. So, but we know they'll be fulfilled perfectly because all the scripture that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled, um, very specifically and, um, literally. So, um, <clears throat> the story of the Bible, of course, we know what that is. Uh, it's how the perfect God brings sinful man back into a relationship with himself using you could say Jesus or his son Jesus or Jesus Christ or but Jesus. All right, so that was the overview. We of course went through the entire Bible. Well, I say the entire Bible. We talked about the Bible. The second study, we went jumped right in and went into a type of Jesus in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. So of course, the first thing we talked about, which last time we talked about this in the first session, but we didn't have really enough time, so we talked about coincidence. Uh, Jewish rabbis have a saying, does everyone remember what it is? Coincidence is not a kosher word. So, <clears throat> because coincidence is actually not in the original Hebrew. There is a word for it now, but there wasn't then because coincidence is something that people didn't go, oh, that's a coincidence. They they always, in the back of their mind, went, wow, that's that's kind of neat that God worked it out that way is basically the, the thinking was. Not that that's that was an interesting random event. <coughs> Randomness is was not really uh, in people's minds in those days. So because everything is obviously structured by our by God, um, you know, built by Him, um, and not a thing in this universe really occurs without Him knowing. So um, since we're on that topic, um, I don't know if we talked about this before, but you know the story in uh, the long day in Joshua. When, you know, the sun stood still and the day lasted longer, he prayed, you know, he prayed for a longer day and God gave it to him. Um, there's a lot of, uh, and, and of course that's when these rocks fell from the sky, these hailstones or these stones fell from the sky and of course destroyed the enemies only. And, um, there's, there's people out there that believe that, you know, those, those rocks were just created then, which nothing's created anymore, but, they were just there, and God said, boom. Or there's a thought that maybe those rocks have been floating around in our solar system for thousands of years. By God, of course, you could think that was a random process, and oh, they just happened to, by chance, land on Earth and just happened to destroy the people that got, that he had just happened to pray for, you know. So, the, um, when you think about that, you gotta realize that, you know, 
everything is where it is because I, I believe that's the case that that these things were all orchestrated in advance and they all happen um, based on God's will so um, you know if, if something bad happens unfortunately that's I mean we, we, we go how could God let that happen but I'm, I'm not not to get into that but um, basically everything happens and he's not unaware of it so um, it w- he's not surprised by anything is what I'm trying to say I guess so all right moving on to the definition of coincidence of course is a remarkable concurrence of circumstances without apparent causal connection so basically something wow that that was neat that was a you know coincidence but um, we all know that that didn't surprise God. So a biblical definition of coincidence could be a concurrence of events by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. So if I ever say, wow, that's what a coincidence, you know, that's kind of my view of it is the biblical view. So, um, so angels. Of course, I put that in quotes because angels is a very um, vague word, I guess. Um, there's good angels. When we talk about angels, of course, I'm talking about the winged creatures, immortal beings um, uh, that God created before mankind. Um, they worship God, of course. The good ones do. Of course, that's in Hebrews 1.6. Of course, there there are some bad angels that don't worship God. And they, uh, at least one of them, tried to be equal with God. So uh, they minister to believers. Hebrews 1.14 And of course, a good angel does not allow himself to be worshipped. I mean, I hope that if anyone walked up to us, not that we're angels, but if anyone walked up to us and started worshipping us, we'd say, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Because that's kind of what I, what angels do when they try to be worshipped. At least the good ones. Uh, there's Again, there's at least one angel, one bad angel that wouldn't care if he was, you know, likes to be worshipped. So, um, so that brings us to bad angels. Oh, by the way, don't uh, angels that don't allow themselves to be worshipped. You can, if you want to go to Revelation nineteen ten, that's sort of a, a specific area where um, an angel says, "Stop, stop worshiping me, John. Worship God." So bad angels. And of course, we're talking about the spiritual beings, the immortal spiritual beings, and, and the Bible seems to indicate that a third of them decided to stop following God and. Follow instead Lucifer, or the bad, the the, the worst of them, or the first bad. <coughs> and of course, that's in the uh, bad angels engage in spiritual warfare and influence nations. Of course, we talked in Daniel ten, chapter ten. If you want to read that, um, where the uh, angel Daniel's praying, and the angel shows up and says, "You know, I I was I was dispatched to give you this response." As soon as you started praying, but I got stopped by the Prince of Persia. You know, he gave a little, like, while I was on my way here, the Prince of Persia stopped me. So that tells you there's a prince of a, of a country, of a nation. Um, so there might be prince of, you know, United States, prince of South, you know, prince of Canada, you know, prince of Brazil, you know, prince of all these nations. There's probably most likely a demonic power or an, or a we'll just say angelic power behind most of the world leaders or all of the world leaders who knows and of course most of them are probably not not good angels um, but we really don't know for sure so um, demons or how I say demons fallen angels or bad angels seem to be and and that of course the head one seems to be involved in in influencing world powers so 
Um, JB's talked about this. If you say that the devil's, you know, on your back or the devil's out to get me, well, you're the most important person in the world because he can't be everywhere at once. So most likely Satan himself or Lucifer is uh, dealing with um, things going on in the world that are probably getting more attention than other things. So uh, demons, of course is a kind of a strange word. You could put that in quotes if you want, because demons might be fallen angels, but they seem to be a little different than angels. They prefer or require embodiment. Um, they don't seem to have a body. The, they seem to be more invisible spiritual beings that seem to possess um, physical beings or, you know, pigs, people, and, you know... Um, and that's based on, of course, Matthew 8, the story of the man possessed by legion. Um, they see, they seem to seek rest in water, and that's in Luke 11. We talked about this where, um, and that's of course brings up, that brings a hypothesis that maybe demons specifically are the spirits of the, um, uh, giants and so forth. So, <clears throat> since angels are able to possess humans, and that's in Luke 22, 3, of course, Satan entered into Judas and so forth, demons could simply be fallen angels, but there are differences. So, I'm not trying to trying to make you think that angels aren't demons and demons aren't angels. Um, you make that decision yourself, but it seems to indicate that there's a difference. So, it's not a big deal, um, but they're there, they're here, they're all around us, we can't see them, and we're, you know, in a spiritual battle, so... Um, the biggest thing you can use to protect yourself against that is, of course, what? Prayer. Prayer. Or, yeah, Word of God, prayer. Um, but, uh, let's see here. Alright, so, the next thing we talked about, of course, was the messenger of the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, which is where that study got its name. I need to hurry up. Oh, no, we're doing good. Never mind. Alright, so, the messenger of the Lord, uh, physical appearance, or the angel of the Lord, he tends to have a physical appearance, so like a man, uh, godly authority. He's able to make promises or affirm promises that God himself has made. Um, and he does allow himself to be worshipped. So um, if he is an angel, he's not following the rules, you could say. But <clears throat> so he's he's an angel of the Lord. But of course, we know the word angel just means messenger. So at times it's specifically referring to messenger or it's referring to uh, these angelic creatures that we are, have been talking about. So, um, most of the time when the word angel is used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, it, it's referring to a messenger, like a human messenger, spies, stuff like that, um, sent. So, actually, the spies may not have been, that word may not have been used for them, but anyway, messengers used in the Old Testament, um, uses the same word as angels. So, alright, so moving on. Session three, we talked about the Akidah, or the binding of Isaac. Of course, this is a very interesting and very detailed type of Christ, and it involves several characters, of course. Abraham is, of course, a model or type of, the type or model of God the Father. So Abraham's name, you know, means high father, so it's kind of funny that God makes him the type of himself, you could say. He represents God the Father in this little drama um, Isaac is, of course, a type or model of his son, or Jesus the son, because Isaac is his son. He's the promised son. He's literally a miraculous birth, just like Jesus was. 
Um, there's a lot of other little details like that that point to uh, him being um, him being a type of Jesus. So, and of course, we learn that God's love costs us nothing, but it costs God His only Son. <clears throat> and you know, we don't really think about that too much because you know it's not like He lost His Son forever, but Jesus wasn't a man forever either. When Jesus became a man, he literally became, you could say, the lowest of the lows. He's this, you know, exalted being with God the Father, and God says, I need you to become a man like them. I mean, that'd be like telling your son, I need you to become, you know, like a dog or something, you know, something lower than yourself. And uh, and I think it puts it into perspective because we don't really, I don't think we can really understand what God lost when he gave his son for us, so... Um, it cost us his son. I mean, he has a son, but his son became literally one of us. So, and he still is a man. So they're right. I don't think we have, it's, it's kind of hard to fathom, but right now on the throne of God, there's a man sitting there. So, um, <clears throat> or you could say the right hand of the throne of God, but you know. So, <clears throat> that said, session four was, of course, kind of the sequel to the Akidah. We called it the Kedushan or the marriage or the betrothal. Betrothal. Yeah, betrothal. Um, marriage was specifically ordained by God in Eden. Of course, we had a big thing about the marriage. That was great for all the college students in here, I'm sure. Um, talking about marriage. so uh, Abraham is, of course, the type or model of God the Father in this story, just like he was in the previous one. It was two chapters later, but it it links right up kind of with that chapter before it, or the story before it. Uh, Abraham's, of course, servant, who's unnamed, just like the Holy Spirit is, a type or model of the Holy Spirit. So his name, was, of course, was uh, Eliezer, but we don't he's not named in this chapter at all. So when you're reading it, you don't get the, hint, the feeling that this guy is, like, out there in the front. He's like the Holy Spirit. He's in the, kind of the behind the scenes most of the time. But he's, of course, his servant. He sends out does all the work. Uh, Rebecca, of course, is a type or model of the church. Or you could say the bride of Christ, the bride of, she's the bride of Isaac, and Isaac's the son, so you could say she's the bride of the son. But yeah, you can just write, she's a type or model of the church or the bride of Christ. And of course, Isaac is the type or model of Jesus, or you could say the bridegroom, or Jesus the bridegroom. So really neat stuff. We get we get stuff about the church in there before the church is ever thought of. Um, you know, we get this picture of in the in the Akidah of God the Father sacrificing His only Son. Um, I still haven't seen that movie, by the way. I don't see it. Every time I say His only Son, it's like I need to see that. But um, uh, so yeah, we get a lot of details here. Of stuff in advance that I'm sure people at the time were like, Abraham knew he was acting out a prophetic event because he names the place prophetically, you know, uh, in the, uh, he, he names it, um, the Lord will provide, not the Lord has provided, the Lord will or in the future provide. So in that exact spot, most likely is where a couple thousand years later, Jesus himself provided. So, um, very specific stuff in these, in these little stories that, um, most of those people probably had no idea what was going to happen. So, 
All right, so session five, six, and seven were, of course, a little mini-series in our series, uh, the Hamoyadim, or the appointed times. Um, we talked about our Jewish roots as Christians, so as Christians, we should understand our Jewish roots. Um, we need to understand that anti-Semitism, or the, uh, the hatred of Jewish people, is evil. Our Savior himself is Jewish. Not was a Jew, he is Jewish. He followed the law like any good Jew would. Um, he fulfilled the law. He's the only one to have fulfilled the law. Um, we should love all people just as Jesus loved us. There's Christians out there that hate Jews. There's Christians out there that hate all kinds of people. And um, it's sad, but it's true. But yeah, we need to understand that our Savior is Jewish. And, um, and Jewish people are loved by him just as much as anyone else um the jewish festivals of course or feasts are ordained by god does anyone remember how many days of the year there are feasts feast days or I, okay let me take that let me change it how many sabbaths are there in the year or holy days oh come on i'll give you a hint it starts with a seven it ends with a zero seventy yeah, there's 70. So, uh, if, if you ever are unsure, just remember, start with a 7. Guess with a 7 and you're almost there. So, <clears throat> or you are there. But um, there are 70 feast days. Uh, they were ordained by God. Of course, he, he set these seven, day, seven, seven feasts up. Uh, they're commemorative of Israel's history. So, they do several things. Um, it's kind of like the church, the letters to the churches that we're going over in Revelation right now. Um, they fulfill certain roles. Like in, in any other order, they wouldn't be prophetic of the current churches. Um, they're also written to existing churches at the time, and they also characterize modern churches in different ways. So, I mean, they do a lot of different things. Um, the, the festivals do the same thing. So they're commemorative of Israel's history. They're prophetic of the Messiah. And they are fulfilled by Jesus. Have all of them been fulfilled by Jesus? Not yet. Not yet. Right. I mean, we can assume, based on the first four, that the last three are going to be fulfilled by him. They may not be, but if you want to go with the, if he's going to do those, the, handle those the same pattern as the first four, then yeah, he's going to fulfill them all. So. Uh, Passover, of course, was fulfilled by Jesus' sacrifice as the sinless Lamb of God. Uh, God. Uh, unleavened bread was fulfilled by Jesus as the sinless bread of life. Uh, first fruits was fulfilled, of course, by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And, of course, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost or Shavuot was fulfilled by the birth of his church. And then, of course, we have three more feasts, trumpets, atonement, and booths. They're yet to be fulfilled. And one of these days, Jesus might say, no, 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 I already fulfilled those. But um, it wouldn't seem as though they have been yet if, if we're... If we're looking, it's, it's fun to kind of guess how they might be fulfilled, but um, we don't want to set dates. Obviously, we talked about we don't want to say, well, the rapture might happen because it at, on this day because it seems to fit this this feast. 
Uh, we don't want to do that because then we'll lose sight of what we're, our mission is and just be, you know, counting days down. So, because every time that happens, everyone's wrong. There's a, there's already a, a friend of mine sent me a video that I guess someone said that, uh, was it, oh, who was it? The, uh, the old physicist has apparently, uh, oh, Isaac Newton apparently predicted the end of the world, um, 2060 or something like that. So if you see that, don't go, uh-oh, it's just a few decades away. You know, because, I mean, we don't know. Um, I mean, it's, it might happen, but I wouldn't think that, you know, it's, we, we no, no one knows, so therefore it's most likely just a guess. So uh, I wouldn't, again, set dates. So <clears throat> it's fun to look at dates, but it's nothing to really, you know, mark our calendars on. So um, session eight, of course, we talked about the law, the tabernacle, and the Ark of the Covenant. I didn't put Ark of the Covenant on the title because it would have been a very long title and didn't fit on most things. So. Uh, so the law is the standard of perfection. If you can keep the law, good for you. But the only person that can is Jesus. So, Because um, all of us have broken it in one way or the other. Uh, it reveals sin because that's what it's meant to do. It's meant to show you you can't keep it so, so that people will put their faith in the Messiah. And of course, we still have a group of people even today that think, yeah, I can keep that. Um, works for salvation, that's all that is. So, the tabernacle, or the booth, or the temple, uh, is a picture of bringing God to man through Christ. I said the booth, but I'm just saying because it's a tent. It's not, every booth doesn't represent the tabernacle, but the tabernacle, or the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament is a picture of bringing God to man through Christ. And we went through all those details. Well, a lot of those details. We didn't go through every single detail. But um, we went through enough to show that, you know, the outside of the temple is, of course, uh, or outside of the tent is, of course, desert. It's dead. And then you have this white uh, wall going around it. And it's a picture of perfection or cleanliness. And you go inside and and then you have to go through all these rituals to get into the actual temple and of course um, the high priest is our is represents Jesus because he's our he, he's the only one that's going to go go to God on our behalf and etc etc there was a lot of those little things so um, the uh, Ark of the Covenant of course is a picture of Jesus's authority his deity his humanity and bearing our sin Kind of hard to think of a box representing Jesus, but it does. It's it's half wood, half gold. You could say it's half man, half God, because God gold represents deity, and of course wood represents uh, you could say mankind, so or of the earth. So, <clears throat> and of course it it carries the law, it carries the bread from heaven, the manna, the uh, Aaron's rod that budded, of course, budded, of course. Um, and of course it's got the mercy seat on it which the, the blood was sprinkled on to pay for sin of course we know Jesus paid for our sin so there's a lot of things about the Ark of the Covenant that points to Jesus it's not just a it's not just a box so um, <clears throat> we also talk about how eternal life is always obtained as a gift by faith in the Messiah so all these things point to Jesus and point to faith so Um, I have this conversation with people periodically, but 
if if you or if you've ever like like when I grew up, I uh, you know felt like salvation, eternal life, salvation was like the end goal for my life. So in a way, if you if you know someone like that or or you were that kind of person. Um, you're going to spend your entire life focused on one person, and that's yourself. And I feel like that whole, uh, that system is, of course, a device of the enemy to keep people from focusing on others. You know, Great Commission, basically. It's a distraction. Spend your whole life focused on one person, and then when you get up there, Jesus is going to say, you know, you've been saved for X amount of years, and you spent no time trying to get other people saved. So, um it's just one of those things, but <clears throat> moving on. So session nine, we talked about the rock and the serpent. So we put two kind of two types in here into one study. Uh, of course, we the, the simple thing of a rock. If you look up rock in the Old Testament or in the Scripture, you'll see how it somehow points to Jesus. Um, just just off the top of my head, Daniel, uh, or I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue of course you have all the world powers and of course what happens to the very last one a mountain or a, or a rock destroys it and it fills the entire earth so there, there's just one but there's there's tons of rock and um, imagery in the uh, in the bible that somehow points to jesus so and of course rocks are a type or model of christ he even tells us that the rock in the wilderness was jesus and of course that's referenced in, in the new testament uh, serpents, oh, and the water is a model of life, type or model of life. So rocks are a type or model of Christ, and water is a type or model of life, because, of course, he's, he gives us living water. And, of course, the water came out of the rock twice. Um, one time he was supposed to strike the rock, and water came out. second time he was supposed to speak to the rock. He got mad, he struck it twice, and water still came out. That's a picture of grace there. Um, but... He lost his his right to enter the land. So you might have think it's a little thing, you know. He didn't do my. He spent years and years getting these people to, you know, putting up with these people. He should deserve to go into the land. Well, he he messed up, misrepresented God. Everyone thought, well, God's mad at us when God wasn't. So Moses was just had just lost his temper and lost his patience, and thought, I'm just going to hit this rock and get your water out, you stubborn people. But of course, that was the wrong wrong way to approach it. So. Uh, Jesus, the rock, gives us living water as a gift of faith. Oh, sorry. Uh, serpents are a type or model of sin. I probably should have put that third sentence at the, as the second one. but So, serpents are a type of model of sin. Of course, the, uh, the story of the brass serpent, which Jesus refers to in John 3, 14, 15, and 16, and maybe a little before that. Um... He's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, By the way, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's like Nicodemus probably went, Oh, wow, that picture of the serpent on the pole. Wow, that didn't realize that that was actually, you know, a very specific and literal prophecy of what Jesus was going to do. So, of course, we talked about how the serpent, which is a type of sin, actually represents our Savior, which sounds bad, but... Jesus became sin for us. So sin, or the serpent, literally represents, as bad as it is, it represents what Jesus became. So 
And of course it was lifted up on a pole and the people had to confess Jesus as their Savior and go get baptized before the snake stopped biting them, right? No. They just had to look at the... They just had to believe the message, which was, just look at it, you know, and uh, and, you, and you'll be saved. So, and that's literally what happened. So... <clears throat> Um, so Jesus the rock gives us living water as a gift of faith. Again, that kind of goes back to the rocks and the water. What was the bronze a type of? Oh, judgment. Sorry. Serpents are a type or model of sin, and brass or bronze is a type or model of judgment because brass and bronze, of course, withstands fire. So it's, it's the metal that is used in implements that have fire exposed to them. So like the bronze altar, otherwise it'd melt if it was something else. So, um, let's see here. So Jesus literally became sin on a pole. Therefore, the serpent represents Christ so that all look to him are saved by faith and not works. So if people have to go do something to get saved, then it's literally harder to get saved after Jesus died and rose again than before because people in the Old Testament just Abraham believed God and he was righteous because of that he was credited for righteousness he wasn't a righteous man but he's looked at as righteous in the eyes of God because um, because of his faith so sometimes people in the scripture are referred to as as blameless in the eyes of the Lord but that's blameless in the eyes of the Lord but not actually blameless we still mess up. We still, you know, Noah was blameless and righteous in the eyes of the Lord, and he still messed up, you know, even later after the uh, after they came off the ark. So <clears throat> it's a picture of us. So all right. So moving on. Session ten was the eternal gospel of Jesus. We call it the eternal gospel of Jesus because the gospel isn't something that was just thought up or was a reaction to sin which is the second line there. The gospel wasn't a reaction to sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ has always existed. Of course, we talked about the stars and the pictures and the stars. God created the stars, and he didn't uh, put them up there to represent something random like, you know, a goat here and a, a warrior here. and a, You know, they, there's a specific story in the stars that was corrupted over the many, 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 you could say millennia, because it's been, or not millennia, but... Well, yeah, thousands of years. So, <clears throat> so we, uh, if we look at the stars today, we get a book about the stars. We're told about the zodiac, but there seems to be indications that the there was another story in the stars before it got corrupted uh, later. So, and of course, that that gospel, or that story, literally points to the gospel of Jesus. So, these the heavens, which include the stars, were made by God and tell of His glory. Oh, there's a truck. I was like, thunder. <clears throat> so, session 11, the Alpha and the Tau, of course that's Greek and Hebrew and English. The Alpha, which is Greek for uh, beginning or first or first letter. And the Tau, which is Hebrew for the last Hebrew letter. Um, so the beginning and the end are the first and the last. So, of course, Jesus calls himself this in the Revelation. Um, numbers show meaning in the scripture. We talked about numbers in this, uh, literal numbers, the book of numbers. Um, we talked about the chapter two of numbers, which if you, um, 
put the people, if you took a top-down view of all the people lined up around the tabernacle, you're going to get a cross. So, I mean, it's subtle. It could just be a coincidence. But, of course, we know that coincidence is not unheard of by God. And it's something that happened in a coincidence or what would appear as a coincidence. Um, we talked about um, actual numbers, uh, number one, two, three, you know, um, seven, of course, six. Uh, we talked about 70, you know, 490. Seems like history is laid out in 490-year segments. Um, Daniel's prophecy is 490 years, and there's still seven years left on it, which, of course, is the we call the tribulation period. Um, so a lot of multiples of seven. Of course, Peter asked Jesus, you know, how, how many times should I forgive my brother? Does he say seven times or 70 times? And Jesus says 70 times seven. Yeah, yeah Jesus says 70 times seven, which, of course, is 490. So... Um, so numbers show meaning in the scriptures and can help the reader understand more in various ways of course number 8 is one above uh, perfection 7 is perfection or or God you could say God is represented by 7 6 is one less than 7 so it seems to be imperfect or it represents man it seems to imply so the number 666 is like overemphasis of man like the world's best system that man could think of is not seven, but it's six. Uh, we talked about how Solomon got 666 talents of gold every year. That was his salary. So, I mean, there's there's just a lot of imagery there. But um, uh, number eight, of course, was new beginnings. So um, eight people on the ark. Um, lots of places where eight was used, and it just seems to uh, in, just show new beginnings. So a new beginning for mankind, and so on and so forth. So... Um, let's see here. Um, are there hidden messages in the Bible that authenticate the author? Um, maybe, maybe not. Some of these types could be considered hidden messages. Prophecies could be considered hidden messages. The church was literally a hidden message in the Old Testament. It was revealed later. Um, are there hidden messages like we were talking about in the letters themselves? Well, maybe. Um, the ones that really fascinate me are the ones that seem to appear in the same place of the, you know, as the plain text or the, the clear text um, that have the same message and that seem to always glorify or reveal and glorify Jesus. Um, and they display God's sovereignty. And of course, if they're real, then that just shows you that there's a lot more to this book than just people writing it. You know, there was actually a um, supernatural, uh, and you could say influence on the Bible, because we know the ultimate author was. So, <clears throat> so are there hidden messages? I don't know. That's I'm not trying to convince you that there are or there aren't. Uh, you make that own decision. I just wanted you to be aware that there is something there, um, and it may be nothing, but it may be something. If anything, it to me just further uh, proves, you could say, that the scripture is very much of a supernatural origin so um let's see here so yeah and i understand that the bible is of supernatural origin i literally just said that didn't realize that was the next sentence but understand that the bible is of supernatural origin from outside of time and the way we know it's outside of time is because it reveals all of history in advance all right so session 12 of course we talked about the cities of refuge we called the study the city of refuge because Ultimately, Jesus, we could say he's our city of refuge. Um, he's our refuge. Uh, we talked about the uh, the capital punishment system 
which of course was instituted. When was the capital punishment punishment instituted? You remember? Remember? When did God say, "Kill people that kill people"? Who did you tell that to? Nope. Nope. Well, that was that's the eye for an eye stuff. But uh, told Noah. Told Noah, right? Said Noah, you know, if an animal kills a man, kill the animal, and if a man kills a man, kill the man. What a man there. Um, so that was when capital punishment was started. So if anyone asks where capital punishment came from, because that's a real touchy subject these days, well, it started after uh, God. God's actually the one that started it. So. <clears throat> oh, really good people dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How dare you? Well, the Bible said it, I didn't. Um, <clears throat> so he, he uh, of course, the, the whole city of refuge system was a system to deal with um, unintentional homicide, or we would call manslaughter. So if someone accidentally kills someone, you can flee to one of these six cities and not be touched by the what's called Avenger of Blood. Um, not a Marvel character, but uh, so the uh, the Avenger of Blood would have been the next of kin or the kinsman redeemer in the language um, that was allowed by law to come and kill the person that killed your family member. And you can't be touched by the Avenger of the Blood if you're in a city of refuge. So the city of refuge is your... Uh, it's your refuge. So it's a picture of Jesus there. The Avenger of Blood is, of course, also a picture of Jesus. We talked about that. Um, Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Uh, he is our High Priest. Because you can be in the city of refuge until the High Priest dies, which is strange if you're not thinking about Jesus. But if you once you realize that Jesus is our High Priest, it makes a little more sense. So, uh, And, of course, we are guilty and need a Redeemer. So, and of course, the the person who accidentally killed the person can leave the city of refuge and live a peaceful, a normal life without being attacked. The, the Avenger of Blood can no longer um, go basically and get revenge um, after that. So, the death of the high priest sets the captive free. Exactly. So, and, and there's a lot there when you realize it. It's like, that doesn't make sense. The, the, the serpent on the pole doesn't make sense, you know. Abraham sacrificing his son and then not sacrifice doesn't make sense until you realize, oh, all this points to Jesus, and it, it all makes sense after that. So, yeah, there's a there's ton of stuff in the Old Testament that people just don't understand because they don't understand who Jesus is. Once you understand who Jesus is, it all it's all clear. So, session 13, we talked about sovereign inheritance. Of course, we talked about the daughters of Zelophehad and uh, how they went to Moses and said, look, We'd like to be able to inherit our father's land because we, he doesn't have any sons. Um, because before that, it was male inheritance only. And God said, well, Moses went to God, of course, was the right thing to do. And God said, okay, I like that idea. I mean, I'm sure he didn't just go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, Moses. No, he, he knew this was going to happen. And, um, of course, it worked out. To, if we looked through the entire Messianic line, um, because of the Jeconiah blood curse, um, it looked as if the Messianic line was done. Um, but because of this little uh, change in the law, it actually kind of worked out with the virgin birth, or it did work out with the virgin birth, and of course Joseph being on, and Mary being on both lines. So, um, through two sons of David. So, Solomon and Nathan. So, <clears throat> so it was an interesting story. So the daughters of Zelophehad proposed inheritance should fall to the daughters if there are no surviving brothers. And of course, if there's no daughters, and it goes to the brother of the survivor, or this, you know, it goes from there. 
So regardless of problems in the Messianic line, God perfectly worked it out. And Jesus fulfills the requirements to inherit. As the Messiah. So God is sovereign and so is man. And of course we could spend a whole other couple hours on that. Um, God is sovereign. That means he has the uh, control of everything. But man also has control. And that doesn't make sense. But... There's a lot of things in scripture that don't make sense because we can't comprehend it, but we accept it because, you know, there's God's ways are not our ways and some, some, uh, well, God's ways are not our ways. So we accept that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, 200%, doesn't compute, but it does, you know. So same sort of thing. Man can make free choices, but they're all within God's will, of course. So Uh, everything is scripture, everything in scripture eventually points to Jesus, so... Summary. Jesus is in all the scriptures. God's word is from God to man, making God's plan, making known God's plan of salvation, and giving us truths and principles so that we can live our lives as his representatives. The Bible is reliable and perfect. That word reliable doesn't really stand up, but yeah, it's perfect, so therefore it is perfectly reliable, you could say. Jesus expects all believers to study, know, and understand the scriptures. 